Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Oh, how wonderful to see you all here. This is our very last chapel ever of 2020-2021. Whoa, last chapel. Man, good thing you guys showed up today. Hey, Isaac, what are you drinking there? Yeah, and what's that one? Oh, that's a that's a very pretty drink. That's so nice. That's so nice. That Okay. <laughs> well, oh, this is great. This is great. So, okay, so uh, yesterday we did a little bit of a check-in. Um, and so I'm going to do the same kind of check-in as yesterday. So if you're feeling like whether we're having a, this kind of a day, a, this kind of a day, or a, this kind of a day, what kind of day would you be having today? Oh, great. Great. A little bit of this, some of these. We got two thumbs, a little bit of halfer. Well, great. Well, we are in all different places today, but we are all here, and that's wonderful. That's wonderful. Well, um, I'm just going to kick those off and get comfy. Well, um, yeah, I'm very, uh, we're this, I'm very excited for today, and we are going to be taking a look at the book of Esther, the entire book. Um, yeah. So why don't, we, uh, why don't we begin with prayer? Lord, I thank you so much for this beautiful sunshine. Lord, I thank you so much for um, the pep in our step that it brings to us, the reminder that, um, that even though we don't see the sun like this every day, um, it, is, um, it is constantly shining and just a, a reminder of your faithfulness as the sun um, shines on us every day and, and rises every day, um, it just reminds us, uh, reminds us that you are so, so faithful. Um, and so thank you for that. Thank you for your faithfulness and your goodness. Thank you for always um, being at work. Even when we can't see you at work, you are at work. And so thank you, Lord, for all that you've been doing in our lives, all that you've been doing in our world um, and, uh, Lord, I pray that as we look at the book of Esther today, that you would, um, challenge us, encourage us, uh, motivate us. And, uh, and so in that vein, uh, Lord, we pray, um, what would you have us hear from you today? So thank you, Lord, for this time, for each person that's here and, uh, for what you have to say. Amen. All right. So... Uh, just a bit of a review. Justice, nice, nice haircut. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're welcome. 
Um, okay, so just to review, we have been looking at uh, Ezra and Nehemiah throughout this semester, and then we're ending now with Esther. So um, we saw that there were these three waves, right, from Ezra and Nehemiah. So we saw that at the beginning of Ezra, at the book of Ezra, there's this first wave of returnees to Jerusalem, and they were led by, does anybody remember who? Starts with a Z. Zerubbabel. Yeah, Zerubbabel. So Zerubbabel led the return, or started the return, and he was reestablishing the temple and rebuilding the temple. And that we see that in Ezra 1 through 6. And then in Ezra 7 through 10, we have Ezra returning to Jerusalem, and he's reestablishing the Torah and reestablishing the community. And then Nehemiah comes in, and he returns and rebuilds the city. And... Um, and the walls. So we see those are our three waves of the return. And we've been taking a look at the um, at those returns. Oh, thanks. Um, we're looking at those returns as, uh, and we've been looking at through looking at those returning to Jerusalem. We've been looking at the reformation, right? of the of this group of people of the Israelites and so we've been seeing that it's a process so it's a process that um of returning back to scripture which we saw in Ezra and a and that there's a returning to prayer that there is a rebuilding that takes place through good hard work and that we can respond to scripture by by putting in new rhythms into our lives and then we can respond to God's faithfulness by taking on responsibility we remember all of this yeah awesome awesome so we are left that we were we were Finishing off three weeks ago uh, with Gavin preaching about uh, from chapter 13 of Nehemiah. And it was this great, but just before chapter 13, we're in this great excitement. Like they're making these like dedications, responsibility. And then, ne and then Nehemiah 13 leaves us with a sense of disappointment because they ended up being... Um, promising empty promises and they didn't follow through with their responsibilities and they're left in this place of disappointment and in fact in Ezra and Nehemiah we see as a res in uh, res at the end of each return at the end of each section you're left with this sense of like huh it didn't actually go the way that it had planned and you're left excited for change and then disappointed um, and so when we finished off Nehemiah three weeks ago we were left with one last R word and that was remember remember me was Nehemiah's prayer do you remember that where he's like know my heart God and so that's where we finished off with Nehemiah and uh, and so this whole concept of Ezra and Nehemiah is really based on getting back to the word of God of being people of prayer and responding out of that and then we get into Esther and so as we see Esther is like sort of in the in the middle of the second and well sort of near the the second but sort of gaps that and it's really just about the people who have yet to go back to Jerusalem. So there are these people who are in Susa and 
they're just living it out, living out their lives there. So here we go. We're going to take a look at Esther and the whole book of Esther. And then what we'll do is we'll drop in into sort of our most well-known section of Esther. So here's Esther. It's in Susa. Susa is the capital city of Persia. It's one of the capital cities of Persia. Remember, that's where we also find um, Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They're in that. That's the same city. Okay, so there we're in Persia, and we have King Xerxes. And King Xerxes thinks that he is awesome. And he thinks that he's so awesome. And so what he does is he has two massive parties that span almost 200 days just to celebrate how great he is. <laughs> so it is just, uh, just drunkenness and feasting and just party, 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 party for days. For days and days and days. And so in, and it's sort of like two two parties within those 200 days. And so in the second party, uh, he is wanting to show off his queen to those whom he's partying with. And so he calls out for Queen Vashti and says, Queen V, come on over and we want to see you. And she refuses. And because it really hits hard because this whole party is about his greatness. And so now his greatness is actually... Um, threatened because Queen uh, Vashti says no. And so um, so King Xerxes boots her out of that position, and now he's looking for a new queen. Now, interestingly enough, because of their, like, I just, this is so weird, but interestingly enough, so um, the king is so threatened by this experience that not only does he boot the queen out of her position uh, and no longer wants her as, her as his queen, but then instills a decree that every, every husband will be the master of his house. And they like establish this really like strict living arrangement um, because, because of this threatening of, of his position. So anyways, fascinating. So now we enter, Esther enters into the story. And so uh, what they're doing is they're sort of like, remember in the story of Cinderella when all the girls are coming to be like, you know, see if que the, the king or the Prince Charming is going to pick them? Well, it's sort of like that, just longer. And, um, and it took like a year. They were being pampered for a year. And so these girls were coming and being pampered to see if the king was going to pick them. And so Esther is a Jewess. We know this. And so hides her Jewishness so that she can then be a part of the process and gets all gussied up and lotioned and oiled and smelling great and looking wonderful and comes before the king. And he says, wow, she's beautiful. I want her. And so he takes her as his wife or as, yep, yep, uh, yep. Okay, so then enter in um, Mordecai, Esther's cousin. And so Mordecai is keeping his eye on Esther, making sure is she okay in this process. Um, and then what happens is Mordecai hears about two soldiers who are actually going to try to kill the king. And he goes and tells that uh, the king's life is in danger, saving the king's life. And, uh, and then Mordecai sort of is this, is this hero. 
enter Haman into the story. So Haman is a descendant of the Canaanites. He is the king's right-hand man, and he loves being the king's right-hand man. He loves the power that he gets. And uh, and so he wants everybody, and the king sort of decrees that anybody that is passed by Haman needs to be bow, needs to bow down to Haman. Only Mordecai refuses to do so, thus threatening this person of power. And, uh, and now Haman is very, very mad at Mordecai. And so you would think that perhaps this is just a personal issue. But Haman makes it much more than just a personal issue. He makes it all about Mordecai and Mordecai's people. And so Haman goes to the king and says, King, you know what we should do is we should make a decree so that we can kill and annihilate an entire group of people. And the king says, yes, that's a great idea. Let's do that. When should we do that? And so they take a dice and roll a dice and decide, oh, it's going to be 13 months from now. So in 13 months, all the Jews are going to be annihilated. The decree is sent. It's, it's established. It is sent out. And now all the Jews in the area are weeping and wailing and very, very scared. Then we have chapter 4, and chapter 4 is, this, is the story, is the, is the back and forth with Mordecai and Esther about what they should do, which we'll drop into later on. So then we see this reversal of what's taking place. So because of what's happened and what um, Mordecai and Esther have put in place, they start to reverse the whole situation. And so Esther... She decides she's going to have how many parties? Two. She's going to have two banquets and invite the king and Haman to her banquets. And they say, yes, this is wonderful. And Haman gets all pumped up. Oh, I'm going to a banquet by the queen. Oh, I'm great. I'm great. Um, and so as he's feeling so great, he walks home and there's Mordecai and he does not bow. And so Haman is ticked. So he decides, I'm just going to build um, a, like, a stake. I'm going to, and then I'm going to put Mordecai on the stake and kill him. Forget the 13 months, I'm going to kill him now. And so then um, that happens, and overnight, the king is having a hard time sleeping. So... He needs a good bedtime story. And so the good bedtime story is the chronicles of what's been going on in Susa. And so somebody reminds him and tells him this wonderful story about how his life was saved. He was almost going to get killed, but his life was saved. And the person that saved his life was Mordecai. So next morning, getting ready for the banquet, Haman comes in feeling great, ready to have some good eats and kill a man. And, um, and the king says to him, what should I do for somebody who has saved my life? And Haman, because he's totally pumped up on himself, and he can't think of anybody else, he thinks, he's talking about me. And so he says, oh, king, you should parade him around the city and tell everybody to bow down and praise him. And the king says, that's a great idea, Haman. Go and do that for Mordecai. What poetic justice. Isn't this awesome? Oh, it's so great. This is such a great story. And so I, could you imagine Mordecai? Like I just sort of picture him like holding the, the lead, not the leash, the lead. I don't know. Is that what you call it with horses? What do you call that thing? 
you know the thing, the strap, just like holding the strap of the horse, all like schlumpy, and Mordecai's on the horse. Anyways, I think that's hilarious. So Mordecai gets this praise, and then now we're into the second banquet with Queen, uh, with Queen Esther. And so she musters up all that courage and says, that man right there is going to kill me and my family. I am a Jew. And the king's like, no, that's awful. So then they decide that they're going to kill Haman. Um, so, so poetic justice again, they toss Haman on the stake that Mordecai was going to be put on. So then Mordecai and Esther say, oh, king, just reverse, just do a little reverse a little take back of the decree that you put out there. And the king says, I'm sorry, I can't. That's not how it works. And so then what they do is they decide what we'll do is we're going to make another decree, a decree for the Jews, so that if anybody opposes the Jews on that date that was 13 months later, on that date, if anybody opposes the Jews, then the Jews are given the total freedom to fight back and kill them instead. Great. Isn't this a crazy story? So could you imagine what it would have been like? This, like, I just picture, like, two groups of people with pitchforks, like, staring at each other, ready to take each other down. And they did. Uh, and so, and the Jews, they killed Haman's family, took him out, and took them out, and then, and killed a bunch of other people who were in opposition to the Jews. And then they thought, let's do it all again tomorrow. And they did. And so they took two days and killed all the people that were at opposition to the Jews. They thought, this is great. Let's make a celebration. And they did. They celebrated for two days. And that celebration is known as Purim. So perhaps you've heard of this celebration before. And it is a celebration of deliverance. And here we are in this story of Esther. So, ah, it's so full of drama. And it's not full with the name of God once. Not once is God mentioned in this story. Not once. I think it's three times the word um, uh, fasting. That word fasting is said three times. Not once is it said fasting in prayer. We don't actually see God written down. We don't see the reference of the Torah in the book. We don't really see prayer written down. But what we do see is it's, all, it's this invitation. Esther is this invitation to look at what God is doing behind the scenes. It's on purpose that it does, that this book is written this way. One of the possibilities as to why it's written this way is because it was written in Persia. And so there is the possibility that to say the name God would be a, would be a federal offense. And so that's a possibility. But really, it's this invitation to see God is actively doing stuff behind the scenes. So look. Look at what God is doing, is what this book invites us to do. And so here we are, filled, it, it, sitting in this space of great drama from this story. It's so great. This story, it makes me think about, you know the verse when, when Joseph, when he's now face to face with his brothers, and he says to his brothers, 
You intended to harm me, but God intended good to accomplish what is now being done. That's, that's the same story as what's happening here. See, there was a lot of things that were intended for evil, and yet the story is a story of reversal of evil to good and deliverance. And it invites us, the story invites us to consider an uncomfortable thought that perhaps God's people, or God allowed God's people to sit in danger. That perhaps God allowed his people to stand face to face with opposition for his greater purpose. That's an uncomfortable place to sit, and yet this book invites us to sit in that uncomfortable space. It invites us to look at the uncomfortableness of our own lives and, and, to, and, um, and consider that God is at work in the uncomfortable pieces of our own lives. So, now let's go back to chapter 4, the most well-known chapter in Esther. And we're going to take a look at that, that key, those key verses. So I'm going to start, and we're going to go through the whole chapter of verse 4 to give us a good sense of what's going on here. So chapter 4, verse 1. When Mordecai learned all that, he, that all that had been done, he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and ashes, and went into the city wailing loudly and bitterly. But he went only as far as the king's gate, because no, uh, no one clothed in sackcloth was allowed to enter it. In every province to which the edict and order of the king came, there was a great mourning among the Jews, with fasting, weeping, and wailing. Many lay in sackcloth and ashes. When Esther's maids and eunuch came and told her about Mordecai, she was in great distress. She, sat, um, she sent clothes for him to put on instead of his sackcloth, but he would not accept them. Then Esther summoned Hathak, one of the king's eunuchs assigned to attend her and ordered him to find out what was troubling Mordecai and why. So she has no idea what's going on yet. So Hathak went out to Mordecai <coughs> in the open square and in the city in front of the king's gate. Mordecai told him everything that had happened to him, including the exact amount of money Haman was promised to pay in the royal treasury for the destruction of the Jews. He also gave him a copy of the text of the edict for their annihilation, which had been published in Susa to show Esther and explain to her. And he told him to urge her to go into the king's presence, to beg for mercy, and to plead with him for her people. Again, she's still like, it's still hush-hush that she is a Jew. So Havoc went back and reported to Esther what Mordecai had said. Then she instructed him to say to Mordecai, All the king's officials and the people of the royal province know that any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned uh, by the king has but one law, that he, put, uh, that he would be put to death. The only exception to this is for the king to extend the, the gold scepter to him and spare his life. But 30 days have passed since I was called to go to the king. When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all, other, of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows, but that you have come to the royal position for such a time as this. 
Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai, go, gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, three days or nights, and I and my maid will fast as you do. Uh, when this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went away and carried out Esther's instructions. <clears throat> so we're invited into this space, uh, of this uncomfortable space of what should they do? What is Esther going to do? And Mordecai presents to her three invitations. And so I would suggest that she's invited to review her privilege, to rely on God's providence, and to respond boldly to possibility. So we see that there is that she's to review her privilege. So he says to her, he invites her to do this by saying, do, you, uh, do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. He's saying, don't get comfortable where you are. Perhaps a modern-day quib could be, you better check yourself before you wreck yourself, sister. Like, you're not, you're not safe. Don't think that your privilege is going to keep you safe. He's suggesting that he, she can't hide in the king's castle. And in addition to that, She's invited to consider not just her own experience, but the experiences of the whole, of all Jews. Like Nehemiah, at the beginning of Nehemiah, he was moved with compassion for his people. Remember that? He was moved with compassion. Well, here, Esther is invited to face that same invitation. Are you going to be moved in compassion? Yes, like you're not safe. You're not, don't get comfortable in your own p privilege, but also be moved, not by your own circumstances, but by the com by compassion of your people. And perhaps we could hear a similar invitation today. Perhaps we might hear something like, let us not hide on this holy hill. Perhaps we might um, hear, let us not be so comfortable in our position as Bible college students or as, um, you know, our tucked awayness here on this hill. Let's not get so tucked away in our privilege that we are watching other people struggle. Let's not hide behind our privilege. Let's not consider our location. Let's not consider our position as sons and daughters as actual exclu excluding us from participating in something, in sharing the gospel. Let us not take this time of time away from the work of the Lord to go and preach the gospel, to baptize, to, to uh, teach and, and, um, and build up disciples. See here, the invitation to Esther says, don't think that because you're in the king's palace that you're safe. And for us, perhaps we might even hear something like this. Don't think that because we're in a pandemic and we can't gather in a church that we're off the hook in building disciples. Right? Don't think that because we're studying about the Bible, we don't have to devote our personal time in getting to know the word of God. 
or maybe a little bit more true for in the next couple of weeks is don't think that because we aren't at summit in three weeks that we are not that we don't need to devote our time to studying the word of God because for those of us who have been through this before we know that summer sometimes we can forget <laughs> right and so let's not forget and let's not stay in our place of privilege as if it will help us. We're invited to step out of the comfort of our privilege um, and take part in God's redemptive story. Now, Jesus makes this invitation in his ministry when he's talking to the rich young ruler. Remember how the rich young ruler is? How am I going to get, how am I going to achieve eternal life? And so Jesus says, well, you know, honor your father and mother, like do the Ten Commandments. And he says, I do them. I do them all. I'm really great at it. And so then Jesus says, well, then sell everything, sell all your possessions and follow me. Step outside of your privilege and come and follow me. This is the invitation that Esther is receiving from Mordecai. This is the invitation that we're receiving. Step out of our privilege. Take a chance. And Jesus is making that invitation. Jesus also lived out that, didn't he? Right? We see that in Philippians 2. When it talks about how Jesus didn't consider equality with God as something to be grasped. Rather, he humbled himself for you and for I. And so here, here we don't just have this invitation. We have this example to follow. To step outside of our comfort. To step outside of our privilege. And step into God's redemptive story. So I guess the question then for me is, is do I hide behind my privilege? Do you hide behind your privilege? And if we do, then what steps can we take to step outside of that, to respond out of compassion and to step inside into God's redemptive story for others? So there's our first invitation. Review our privilege. Secondly, to rely on God's providence. So Mordecai says, um, for if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your father's family will perish. <laughs> this is a hefty invitation, but it is an invitation to rely on God's deliverance and on his provision. Even if Esther stays silent, even if she does stay in privilege, deliverance is still going to come. Mordecai is believing God is still going to do something. Even if you don't, he will. So we can so be saying rely on God's providence. God will deliver his people. And we, we, it's this invitation to trust in God's purposes, in his plans, and that he actually is at work behind the scenes. And so while um, it, it's not an explicit invitation, right? No. Uh, Mordecai doesn't say, trust in God. But he does say, deliverance will come. And it's this invitation to rely on God that even in the face of the things that seem so daunting, even in the face of, for Esther and for the Jews, even in the face of potential annihilation, God will come through. 
even in the face of an Omega trip being canceled, God will come through. Even in the face of not knowing what your internship is going to be this summer, God will come through. Even in the face of not knowing where you're going to live in three weeks, God will come through. This is the invitation that we're, in, we're invited to step into that says God is working behind the scenes. Even if we can't see it, and even if it seems like it's great opposition, God is working behind the scenes. He is at work. So Mordecai's statement, and truly Esther, the book of Esther, leads us into this deeper level of faith that says, I'm, I'm not going to trust the circumstances. I'm going to trust God. He will come through. He, and it's not just about, it's not just about Esther and her circumstances. And it's not just about me and my circumstances. It's not just about you and your circumstances. It is about humanity. It is about God taking care of his people. It's bigger than you and I. It's about God's faithfulness. Now, this is the message again of Jesus and his teachings. You know, when Jesus is sitting there talking with people outside on maybe, I, I'm guessing, a day very similar to this on this beautiful day, and he says, look at the birds. Look at them. They don't sow and they don't reap. Look at them. I'm taking care of them. Look at the flowers and the grass, how beautiful they are. I've clothed them even more beautifully than, than the clothes of Solomon. Like, I've taken care of these. How much more will I take care of you? He says, how, if I've clothed uh, the grass of the fields, um, then how much will I clothe you? Oh, you have little faith, he says. So don't worry. Don't worry about what you'll eat or what you'll drink or what you're going to wear. Don't worry. He says, just seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added to you. Now, we don't always like this verse because we don't like to be told, don't worry. Well, I'm worrying. But this verse and what Jesus is saying is, I'm working behind the scenes. I'm, I've got it. I have a good plan. I'm working it out. And so he's inviting us to trust in him. He's inviting us, even... He's inviting us to see that picture even with the cross. The cross, a picture of annihilation, a picture of death, of destruction. It's a picture that doesn't say hope, does it? And yet that's exactly what God does with the cross. Jesus dies, comes back to life, and through that life and resur that resurrection and ascension, you and I are here. We have freedom, we have hope, we have joy because of something that looked like it was disastrous. But God was at work behind the scenes. And so we're invited to take those steps of faith, to consider, to believe that God is at work even if we can't see it. He is at work in your life. So whatever it is that you're worrying about, your papers, your exams, your summer, trust that the Lord knows exactly what you need. 
and he will provide. Lastly, we have this invitation to respond boldly to possibility. Now, this is that infamous phrase from Esther, right? Like, you know, like that, the Esther, the Esther phrase? It's like, it's like the thing that's like written on a Karen wall, right? You know what I mean? Like, it's just in italics on somebody's kitchen for such a time as this, right? Like, it's, and, and doesn't it sound so, like, anthematic? Like, yes! Like, I, and it's just so, like, ah, moving and compelling for such a time as this. It's so wonderful, right? I feel so amped up whenever I hear for such a time as this. And it's this calling forward and super exciting. And yeah! Right? Like, don't we get that vibe from that text? Okay, listen to the tone. Listen to how Nehemiah says this. And who knows? <laughs> but that you have come to the royal position for such a time as this. But who knows? <laughs> How's that sound for an anthem? <laughs> maybe. Right? Like it's such, it's the sense of possibility. Well, maybe, maybe you're supposed to be here. I don't know. It's, it doesn't have that, like, momentous push, does it? And yet, what he's doing is he's inviting Esther to consider the possibility and then to step boldly into that. You know, maybe, maybe it's not a coincidence, Esther, that this is where you're at. Maybe. I, I think that it's highly unlikely that when Queen Vashti got the boot um, and Esther steps into this very, you know, like, it's just not our culture, so I just don't get it. But, like, this strange experience of this pageantry and the collection of all of these girls and just seems so strange. But anyways, I doubt that as this is happening, Esther is in the prayer room, asking the Lord, what should I do this summer, or what should I do with my life, and I'm, it's unlikely, maybe, but unlikely, that God would say, okay, here, Esther, this is what I want you to do. What's going to happen is I'm going to redeem my people through you, and I'm going to do it like this. You're going to lie about who you are, and then you're going to get picked at all these girls, and you're going to become the king's wife. And then there's going to be this guy who's going to say that, like, puts a decree that says that he's going to kill you and all your family. Don't worry. I got it. And then what I want you to do is, you know, take a really bold step, and you could potentially die, but don't worry. I got you. Uh, and I want you to talk to, I want you to make two two banquets for the king, and out of that, he's going to think, isn't she great? Then you're going to point out the liar and the deceiver and the guy who wants to kill you, and he's, the king loves you, so you, he's going to do what you want. And, uh, and, like, do you, I doubt that God gave her the rundown as to what her life was going to look like. But how often do we expect this of God? Okay, God, what am I going to do this summer? What do you want me to do with my life? 
And we expect this rundown, don't we? Well, first, Kim, what you're going to do is in May, June, and July, you're going to do this. And then this is going to come along, and I want you to say this, right? Like we have this expectation that he's going to give us this play-by-play as to how we're going to live out our life. He did, right? Like don't we want that? It's so much easier. But it, it takes out all possibility, doesn't it? See, this, this text and what's happening for Esther and what's happening for you and I is we are invited to step boldly into the possibilities, into the maybes. Maybe, possibly, you're here for a purpose, even though you feel like you can't finish your papers. Maybe, maybe God will help you with it. Possibly, God is inviting you to step boldly into living with your parents again, even though you don't want to. Maybe, possibly, God is inviting you to step boldly into returning to a job that you actually hate. Possibly, God is asking you and inviting you to step boldly into an internship that you're not going to get paid for. Possibly, God is inviting you to step boldly into an internship with kids. You're not even called to kids. Ugh. (laughs) Possibly, when your pastor says, we're going to have a baptism service in the summer, possibly that's the opportunity to step boldly and get baptized. Share your story. Share God's redemptive story in your life. See, the reality is, is we don't have these big moments where God says, this is it. We don't. We don't get that. We don't get what we think Esther's getting. You were born for this moment. That's not what she got. She got a, maybe you're here. Maybe you should do something because you're dead if you do and you're dead if you don't. That is literally the issue. Maybe you could do something because your life's on the line either way. So often we want this big, bold, go this way, and that's not what we get. Because that doesn't let us step boldly into the possibility of what God has for us. It takes out the faith of it all. And so perhaps when you're walking into this week, when you're walking into this summer and whatever this summer looks like, internships, summer jobs, a new pastoral position, whatever it is that you're looking into that's coming your way, perhaps, maybe, it's a possibility for you to just step out boldly. Maybe. Maybe it's a yes. Maybe it's a no. You'll just never know if we don't step out boldly. And so it's this invitation to trust, to step out in faith, to put the principles that are in the word of God, to put them into action. When um, after Jesus, after he died and resurrected, but before his ascension, he he came and talked to the disciples 
And we see this in Acts 1, and he says, okay, wait, because you're going to get a gift. Uh, John, he baptized with water, but you're going to be baptized by fire and baptized with the Holy Spirit. And the disciples, they responded to that statement with, oh, is that when you're going to restore the kingdom of Israel? He's, he's ascended from death. Like, he's resurrected from death and uh, ascended yet, sorry. He's re- resurrected. Oh, is that when you're going to restore everything? Like, they didn't see it yet. They didn't see the full picture yet. Um, and they didn't see what God was doing behind the scenes. But what God was wanting was for them to step boldly. Just get on the stage, man. Just get out there. Just step boldly. And so he said, wait. Wait for the Holy Spirit. And, and then you will have... Um, you will receive power to step boldly. And so they have that upper room experience, and then um, that happened, and then there was that big influx of people coming to know Jesus. And and then a couple days later, uh, Peter and John, they are doing simply what they would normally do. They were just going to the temple. It was a regular day a very, very regular task of going to the temple. And they walked past a lame man. And likely that they've walked past that lame man many, many, many times before because this was a very regular day. And so, and the man probably saying the same thing that he said multiple times, he says, any silver or gold? And it was this moment, amazing. I don't have any silver and gold. Maybe I have something else that I could give him. Maybe. Possibly. Right? Like, likely. We don't get from Scripture that it was like this, give him healing. Right? Like, we don't have that moment. Well, I don't have silver and gold, but what I do have, I'll give to you. Why don't you rise and be healed? It's this moment an everyday moment, step out boldly and see what God can do. And we're invited to do the same. Step into the everyday moments. And that's where we can see God at work. That's the invitation. That is our invitation from Jesus is to step into the everyday things and see the wonderful things that he will do in and through us. So here we are at the end of Esther, at the end of our time, left with these invitations that we don't hide behind our comfort zones and we don't hide behind the privilege that we do have. That we don't, um, or that we do rely on God's faithfulness. That we do rely on his providential work. That we trust that he has a plan that he is at work in our lives. And then we're invited to step boldly into whatever he has for us in the day. We want our jobs figured out. We want our housing figured out. We want our lives figured out. We want our papers and exams figured out. Like, that's a really immediate. We want those things figured out. But perhaps we could just lean into the day Step boldly into the day and see what God has in store for us. One commentator uh, writes this. 
as we look at the book of Esther for traces of God's activity, which is exactly what the author wants us to do. We see the lesson of being open to the possibility of God's divine providence, even when things seem to weigh against its likelihood. Even in days as dark as the day when Haman rolled out his de decree to annihilate all Jews, even in, our even in our darkest of days, the book of Esther offers us an invitation of hope. Hope in the reality that God is at work. Now, the, our, um, that extension and that invitation of hope, that's extended to us, right? We're invited to, to hang on to hope. But as followers of Jesus, we are invited to then invite others into that hope. And it is with that that we head into the summer, wherever it is, whether we have a job or we don't, whether we have an internship or not, whether we know if we have a pastoral position or not, we are to be uh, inviters of hope and in the hope of Jesus Christ. And we do that. We can do that as we devote ourselves to the word of God, right, and be people of prayer. Now, um, at the beginning of the year, we devoted ourselves to be people of prayer through the prayer covenant. And I would love to end our year like we started our year praying the prayer covenant together, depending on the Lord to lead us and guide us. So would you stand with me and we could pray it together and it'll be on the screen. And then I'd love to pray for you. So dear Father, And Lord, I pray a blessing over each person in this room and on each person that is a summit student. God, I pray a blessing of strength and endurance for the next three weeks to endure, to continue on, to start, as, to continue on and end well. Lord, I pray that you would remind them why they're doing what they're doing bring motivation back to their minds, back to their spirits, back to their uh, bodies, so that they can finish well. And Jesus, as they are stepping into the summer, again, another summer of unknown, 
Lord, I pray for that, um, that reliance on your providence, for the blessing of assurance in what you will do. I thank you, Lord, that you have gone before each one, that you have a plan, you have a purpose, you have things in order. God, I pray that there would be an increase of faith in each one that would compel each one to rely on your providence. Lord, I pray for an increase in boldness. Holy Spirit, would you empower and embolden your people to step into the possibilities that you have for them. And Lord, help us not hide behind privilege. But God, I pray a blessing on each one to be courageous people. People who will step out of their comfort zones and trust you in every single moment of every single day. Lord, I thank you for each one. I thank you so much for what you have done this year, how you have changed us, how you have molded us, how you have reformed us this year. Would you remind us of that of these truths? Would you remind us to be people that are devoted to your word and to be people of prayer this summer so that we would continue to be empowered by you, your word. I thank you so much for what you have done, for what you are doing, and what you will continue to do in each one's life. I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Bless you guys. Love you. This is it. Last one. Oh, have a great lunch.